You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. I participated in his death. I hate that, but I'm glad he did it. My sin. You want to see the ugliness of sin? Look at Jesus on the cross. Look at Jesus on the cross. Beaten beyond recognition, hanging there, gasping for breath, dying. You want to see the ugliness of sin? The horrific nature of sin? Look at Jesus on the cross. We put him there. Every human being put him there. He died not only for me, but also as me. I am identified with his death. What does it mean to be a good person? Is it good deeds every once in a while that make us feel better about ourselves? Or is it following a higher calling? Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that God has a purpose and a plan already set into motion for your life. Instead of doing so-called good deeds to make you feel like you're balancing out the bad things in your life, let God take control. He has a plan for you, and you've always been in His plans. Lose the burdens that are dragging you down and follow Him. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 3 as he begins his message. Now, we are the sons of God. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it's a gift of God. 100% gift. We're saved by a gift. It's a gift. Not one thing did we do to get saved. It's a gift. Christmas time, we ought to get that. We don't have to earn what's under the tree. At least I hope not. Whatever we open up, it's a gift because somebody wanted to gift us. All right. Now, last time we looked at the Abrahamic covenant and we saw that the blessing of Abraham is what, everybody? Read it with me. Salvation through faith. The blessing of Abraham is not wealth. Now, God will bless some people with wealth, but it's not accurate to say that God wants everybody wealthy. As a matter of fact, if you go to a lot of the world today, they think you are wealthy. Wealth is relative. There are people that would think immediately you were very rich. So when you go saying, well, God wants everybody to be a millionaire or multimillionaire, that's not what Paul meant when he said the blessing of Abraham is ours, even though Abraham was wealthy. He meant salvation through faith. That's the blessing of Abraham. Now, we are his children when we look to God by faith for our salvation. Now, Paul closes out chapter 3 with the glorious truth of our salvation. Let's read it together, can we? For you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. How did you become a son of God? In who? Now, notice there's nothing about works there. Not anything about what a good person you were or how you earned part of your salvation. But we are sons of God through faith, period, in Christ Jesus. Now, interestingly, the, the word for sons is huios, and it refers to believers as the legitimate offspring of God with reference to origin and nature, including our relationship to the Father. We are now sons of God and, of course, daughters of God. Paul is contrasting between the condition of an adolescent who is still under the restraints and the restrictions of the Mosaic law and the believer's emancipation by virtue of his sonship in Christ. Now, who says Paul would want to go back to the old bondage of the law? Now, this is what the Galatians were being tempted to do, and they had swallowed the bait. 
They had begun to believe these Judaizers and to turn on their apostle. And these Judaizers were undermining Paul, criticizing him, saying, hey, hey, what are you doing putting so much credence in this guy? Because he's not telling you the whole truth. You've got to mix some works, some Old Testament law with your faith or you won't be saved. Rules and regulations, circumcision, things like that, or you're not going to be saved. But Paul says, why in the world would you want to go back to that old bondage? That which held you for so long. It would be like an adult returning to sucking his thumb. Now, if I see a little baby sucking his thumb during church, I don't think a thing of it. But if I see you, I know something's wrong. There comes a point where you put the thumb down, right? Now, what Paul's going to be showing us here in this chapter is that when Jesus came, we put the thumb down. And we ceased being a child under the instruction of the law. And we came into faith. Now, we'll see that in just a minute. Now, next, Paul mentions baptism in a whole new light. Look what he says in verse 27. Uh, He says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, if you read Paul's teachings, of course, two-thirds of the New Testament, he's always saying this, put off the old man, put on the new man. Put off the old man, put on Christ. Put on love. He's always talking about putting on, like you're getting dressed. It's, it's something you do. It's like putting on clothing, putting on a jacket. Put on Jesus. And here he says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now keep in mind that water baptism is very significant. Some of you need to be water baptized. Some of you chicken out the morning we go to do it. And you, you, you tell us you're going to be there and you're not. And I'm thrashing you right now with a wet noodle. You need to be there. Some of my ushers like that because we prepare for all these people and then a few show up. I don't know where you go. Maybe you don't want to be on camera. We'll turn the camera off when you go under. But it's very important. Now, it's the outward expression of an inward experience. That's what water baptism is. Outward expression of an inward experience. By standing in the waters of baptism, the believer is confessing. Read this with me, everybody. When Christ died, I died. Do you believe that? That's what you're confessing when you get water baptized. All right? You're standing in in the waters of baptism. You're about to go under and you say, when Christ died, I died. I participated in his death on Calvary's cross. Pastor, how could that be? I'm in the 21st century. That was 21 centuries ago. God can do that. The old song that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Answers in the affirmative, you were there. I was there. Hitler was there. Mussolini was there. Every person that ever lived was there because Jesus took your sin, my sin, all of our sins and bore it on the cross. Every one of us. So were we there? Yes. In God's way of thinking and viewing, yes, we were. We were there. I participated in his death. Say, well, I didn't have anything to do with his death. Your sin drove those spikes in just like mine did. I participated in his death. I hate that, but I'm glad he did it. My sin. You want to see the ugliness of sin? Look at Jesus on the cross. Look at Jesus on the cross. Beaten beyond recognition, hanging there, gasping for breath, dying. You want to see the ugliness of sin? The horrific nature of sin? Look at Jesus on the cross. We put him there. Every human being put him there. 
He died not only for me, but also as me. I am identified with his death. Every Christian needs to understand this. I am identified with his death. The believer, once you're standing there in that water, now the believer is then immersed in the water as the word baptizo so clearly implies. Thus, he proclaims his burial with Christ. When you go in that water and you are immersed, that's what baptizo means, not to be sprinkled, but to be immersed. When you are immersed in that water, it is a picture of you being buried with Christ. You're buried with him. He is put completely out of sight beneath the water. We baptize people, they go all the way in. Then we have them quote the Lord's Prayer, then we bring them out. No, I'm... I said that to a woman one time. She took me real seriously. I, I was just kidding with her before I put her under. Now, you're gonna, I'm going to quote the Lord's Prayer, and then I'm bringing you out. She said, what? Said, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> got to have fun in this thing, folks. You, you do. Now, it, but somebody being baptized is put completely out of sight beneath the water as Jesus was put out of sight in the tomb. Thus, the believer is buried figuratively in a watery grave. That's the idea behind water baptism. But he is not left there. He's raised up from the water by the power of another's arm. Come up. Come up. What did God do when Jesus was lying in that tomb, dead as any man ever was dead? Jesus, or God put his hand, arm in there and said, come up. Get up, son. And he raised him from the dead. Thus, he, the person being baptized proclaims pictorially, say it with me, when Christ arose, I arose. Now that's water baptism. When Christ arose, I arose. So you, you, you're, you're dead to your old life and you're living now for a new life and in a new life, in the power of a new life. You've been raised from the dead, literally, because you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us that. Now, I now stand in him on resurrection ground. We all do. Uh, I live in him. I'm identified with him in his resurrection. I live on the other side of death to walk in newness of life. Do all of you understand that's where you are? Hello, come on. Give me an amen. Better than that. I want, I want to know if you got this because you're, you're no longer in that old life. You're dead to your old life. Buried with him by baptism into his death is what we say when we baptize people. Buried with him by baptism into his death and raised to walk in the newness of life. And your old life is left down there in that water. Now, when all is said and done, it's only a picture of a greater spiritual reality we're talking about. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the believer is placed in Christ. Baptizo, baptized, fully immersed into Christ. This is the mystical relationship. Paul speaks of elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where he writes these words, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, and we have all been made to drink into one spirit. Isn't that good? One. There's not a bunch of different churches. There's one. The Holy Spirit puts, immerses the believer in Christ and Christ into the believer. Paul's point is that the law, the law, he's telling the Galatians, he said, hello, folks, wake up. Is anybody home? Listen, the law could do no such thing. 
you, you, why would you want to go back to that Old Testament law? Because in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit did sometimes inspire people. Uh, they knew at times what it was to be empowered by the Spirit, like Samson, Gideon. We could go through and David, when he killed the lion and the bear, the Holy Spirit empowered him, empowered Samson, the mighty man. He didn't do that by, in the natural. He did that by the power of God. They had the Holy Spirit come upon them for some great task. Old Testament people experienced that, but nobody in Old Testament times ever knew what it was to be baptized by the Holy Spirit to become a member of the mystical body of Christ. It was totally foreign to them. They were waiting for Jesus to come, looking down the tunnel of time, longing for what they had heard promised and predicted, but they didn't taste it. They didn't experience it. It said these all died in faith, not having received the promise. But we got blessed because we are post-death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we got to experience the Holy Spirit coming into our life and taking us and baptizing us into his body and into Jesus. The beauty of this is that instead of vainly trying to be righteous by clothing oneself in the law, we in the New Testament have put on Christ. You don't know how blessed you are. I hope to open your eyes to see how blessed you are. Some of you have no idea. You're just Christian, and that's all you know. You're Christian, going to heaven one day. There's a lot for you right now between here and heaven in Christ, okay? Now, that means that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, and he is satisfied because he sees Christ's righteousness, not ours. I always say it this way. God puts on sunglasses. We put on sunglasses to shield from the sun. He puts on S-O-N glasses, and he sees us through sunglasses, and those sunglasses are tinted red. And you put on sunglasses, all you're going to see is whatever color those lenses are. When God puts on uh, sunglasses, when you get saved, as far as you're concerned, he's wearing sunglasses. And he looks at you and he sees red, the blood. And he says, righteous, justified, sanctified, glorified. That's what he sees. Now... This truth about what Jesus did for us also confers or speaks about or points to a new fellowship. He says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now read the last part with me, would you? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. You're equal. There's no social status. There's no higher pedigree. There's nobody better than another. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Gone forever, Paul is telling the Galatians, was the old Jewish monopoly on the things of God. The baptism of the Spirit into Christ sweeps away all the old entrenched differences where the Jews would walk around looking down on the Gentiles. The Gentiles uh, resented the Jews. There was this huge division, but he's, he's telling them that Jesus swept all that away. Jesus took care of all of that, removed it. In Christ, everybody is equal. There is not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. There is only a church filled with born again, blood washed, spirit baptized, called out ones. That's all there is. And some of you are going to be real surprised who you see in heaven. Because you thought some of those people in those other denominations, some of them weren't going to make it because of where they were. Like some of our Church of Christ friends are going to be shocked to see some Baptists up there. 
And some of the uh, Assemblies of God might be real shocked to see some of the Catholics up there who managed to embrace Christ, though they were in the Catholic Church. In other words, there's going to be a lot of shock in heaven. You're going to be shocked about some people that made it, and you're going to be shocked about some that you just knew were going to be there, and yet they're not. All you need to worry about is, are you going to be there? And washed in the blood, you will be. Now, there is no longer male or female. In Jesus' day, women were discriminated against. It was really bad, ladies. Listen, uh, here's the fact. Devout rabbis would awaken daily to thank God they had not been born a woman. I'm serious, thank God. I'm not born. They would. I'm just telling you what history tells us. Do you know that that's the world Jesus was born into? Heavy discrimination against women. That's why I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus emancipated and ennobled womanhood. Here's what I want to tell you. This is why modern-day feminists should adore Jesus Christ. Gloria Steinem ought to adore Jesus Christ. Bella Abzug, now some of these names you may not know, but they are some of the hardcore early feminist leaders, and they ought to adore Jesus Christ. If they really mean that they want to be treated equally, he blazed the trail to treat women equally. You ought to love him, ladies, just because of the way he treated women. He was the woman's greatest champion. All you ladies ought to give Jesus a hand. You really should. <laughs> He'd be right there with you, wanting equal pay for an equal job. But more than that, he didn't allow women to be devalued. He put them on the same level, same value, same importance as men. What Paul is telling us is there's not a black church and a white church. There's not a brown church and a yellow church. There's not a red church, Chinese church, Korean church. Uh, we, we should not be separated. We should not be divided. We should not be all, all meeting in one meeting because of the, uh, or in one building because of the color of our skin. Paul wouldn't understand that. He said, no, if, if I stick any of you with a needle, you all bleed red. You're all important to God. You have the same value. Racism can't exist at the foot of the cross. Discrimination against women can't exist at the foot of the cross. All the churches in the world, if they're blood bought and they believe in Jesus Christ, we are one. There may be a different name out there, but we are one in him. And when the rapture happens, we're all going out of our different buildings up. Period. <sighs> Finally, there awaits us a new future. Verse 29 says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And you are what, everyone? Heirs, according to what? The promise. Now, last time we talked about the seed, capital S, and it's a singular in the original language. Remember that? How many of you were not here? Okay, most of you are here. We talked about the seed, where Paul talked about the seed being Christ. And when he used that word in verse 16 of chapter 3, he's talking about a singular seed, the same seed that uh, was referred to in Genesis when God said the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the devil. He's talking to the devil. And he says the, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Way back, that's the first prophecy in the Bible. God predicting that Jesus Christ would be on a cross and that Satan would bruise him in the heel. 
Amazing, uncanny, unbelievable, yet believable because it's God. And he said, this seed, singular, capital S, is going to bruise your head. Now, that seed showed up again in Genesis 12, where God told Abraham, a seed is coming out of your descendants, singular, capital S. And he was talking about Messiah, talking about Redeemer. So when we say here, besides the seed, Christ, that he mentions earlier in verse 16, who is Christ, there are three other types of seed related to Abraham. First, he was to have a seed that God compared to the sand of the sea in number. That's Genesis 22, verse 17. Now, what was that talking about? It referred to his natural posterity, the descendants of Isaac and Jacob, the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, to whom God made many great and precious promises. These promises that he made to his seed, the Jewish people, were connected with a land and look forward to a coming millennial age when Jerusalem will be the messianic capital of the world under the rulership of Christ himself. Do you know what's going to happen one day? Jesus is coming back. And in the millennium, which is a thousand year time span, he's going to rule the world from Jerusalem. So do you really believe that, Pastor Jeff? Of course I do. Same Bible that gave me John 3.16 tells me that. Of course it's going to happen. Well, I just have trouble believing that. Well, hang on. You don't have to fully believe it. If you're saved, just hang on. You'll see it. And that's when the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's when they will beat their swords into plowshares. That's when peace will cover the earth. And Messiah will rule out of Jerusalem. It's coming. It's right around the corner. It's right around the corner. Now, so that seed, the Jewish people... God told Abraham, you're going to have a land, and it's the holy land. And so in that promise to Abraham, that plural seed, all of his descendants, that they would possess a land. They've never fully possessed it, but they will fully possess it when he returns. For the first time ever, they will fully possess every square foot of the land God gave them when he told Abraham and gave him the promise. Now, but also Abraham was to have a seed likened to the stars of heaven. You read about that in Genesis 15, verse 5. Now, that refers to his spiritual seed. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, that be you. His spiritual seed. That refers to his spiritual seed. It's a seed made up of all those who are linked with Abraham as the father of all them that do what? That believe. Okay? This vast multitude is Abraham's spiritual posterity. And this is where the church comes in. We as the church are Abraham's heirs and will inherit all the spiritual blessings made good by God to all those who exercise the faith in Christ Jesus that Abraham did. So when did Abraham believe in Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you a good example. When he laid his son on that altar and God had said, now I want you to sacrifice Isaac, your only son. I mean, God knew exactly what he was doing. What a picture of the Christ, the Messiah when he would come. It was, it was a foreshadowing, a, a type, a shadow of what was going to happen later with Jesus. And so he said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And so for three days, they journeyed to that mount. And when they got to the mount or on the way to the mount, here's little Isaac, the love of his life saying, Dad, what's all this wood for? And why are we going where we're going? 
What are you doing? When's the last time you felt truly liberated? Even when we're surrounded by family that loves and supports us, it's easy to feel stifled by being told what we can and can't do. In today's message from Pastor Jeff, we learn that the only place to experience freedom is through God's perfect grace. No earthly being will ever give you the liberation that you deserve. Be transformed through the power of the cross. Experience a purpose-driven life through God's mercy. Are you interested in partnering with us here at Hardwired? We'd love for you to come alongside us in supporting this ministry. All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. That number once more is 817-484-4767 and text GIVE. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this today and thanks for listening. Whether you have an important parental figure in your life or not, it's safe to say that we all love having someone that we can look up to. When there isn't somewhere that we can turn for refuge, it can be difficult to process the storms of life. Well, next time on Hardwired, Pastor Jeff explains that if you want to have an oasis that you can always turn to at any time of need, give your heart to the Lord. He wants nothing more than to shield you from the pain that plagues your life. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Galatians next time on Hardwired.